0: And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. We're going to move into the seventh chapter of the book of Romans tonight. Before we get there, the Apostle Paul has identified what man's problem is it is the sin nature that corrupts the heart of the human being and rules like a slave master from the time we're born right on up to the time we die, rules over the entirety of the human race. And he said in Romans 6 and verse 14 that the sin nature is not to rule over us, speaking to believers, for we are not under law but under grace. And here we have the two ways in which the sin nature can be addressed. By default, man deals with the sin nature by the means of law. And every society since the dawn of time has set up some type of rules, laws, regulations to govern the people. Even before God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, we had some type of structure. Uh, The people didn't understand what it was, but they knew if they didn't have some kind of laws, then society uh, would run them up, whatever the case. The problem with that is, Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 3, he said what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh. The law told people what to do and what not to do, but it depended on their own self-efforts to keep it, to do it or not do it. Uh, The law didn't give them any power to do those things and whatever the case and God knew this so he dealt with the sin nature by the means of grace and God has always dealt with the sin nature in the human being by the means of grace even when he gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai God knew that man could not keep that law but along with the law Of course, there was punishment for breaking the law, but God also instituted and had along with it the sacrificial system so that when a person failed in the law, they could take a lamb and offer it up and be forgiven for their sin and still have uh, communion with God. All of that pointed to Christ. All of that was the grace of God. In the Old Testament, what Jesus did for us at Calvary paid for man's sin debt, and I think much of Christianity today understands that portion of it. Jesus died for me, and and paid the price so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. I think that, in its most simplistic terms, people understand that. But what Jesus did for us at Calvary is the double cure. Not only did he pay man's sin debt, but he, when that sin debt was paid, it opened up the door for the Holy Spirit to come in a way that he could not do under the Old Testament. When man's sin debt was paid, the Holy Spirit can now come inside the heart and life of the believer. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, that is the most powerful force in all of the universe. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the most powerful force in all of the universe. We see him in the book of Genesis. This world was void and and darkness upon the face of the deep. And we see the the chaos there in Genesis chapter 1. And then the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and life came as the Holy Spirit moved. And the power of the Spirit overpowers that sin nature that's ruling and reigning in the heart of the human being. And once that is done, the sin nature is rendered ineffective. Uh, It's not removed. It's still there, but it's power is removed, and now the Holy Spirit can rule and reign in the heart and life of the believer. That is cherished grace, the divine influence upon the heart, and then its reflection can be seen in the life, and that is the definition of the Greek word charis. Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. We can very easily take this verse and flip it around and say it this way. The sin nature will have dominion over you if you place yourself under law and not under grace. Those are the two ways, the only two ways, to address the sin problem in the heart of the human being. It's either rules and regulation, law, and when we say law, most of the time we think of the law of Moses, but it can be any kind of law. It can be laws made up by a denomination, laws made up by a church, laws made up by ourselves. Um, any kind of law, if we if we try to live for God by that way and Try to control the sin nature that way, you're going to fail every time. The only way to control the sin nature in the heart of the human being is through and by grace. And that is by putting your faith in Christ and what he did for us at Calvary's cross. And then the Holy Spirit can come inside and do the work that he needs to do. It's either law or grace. There is no in between. Now, in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, Paul gives us his personal experience in trying to live for God by the means of law after he was saved. Now, in his defense, he didn't know any better. No one else did either. All of this was brand new. And Paul concluded the end of this chapter Uh, verse 24, Romans 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That doesn't sound like a Christian that's living an overcoming Christian life. This unpleasant experience drove Paul to his knees. It caused him to seek the Lord. And... In his praying and seeking God, God opened up to him and gave him the meaning of the new covenant. And this is what we have here in the book of Romans. And the sin nature is not to have dominion over the child of God. But sadly, it does because we do not understand what Paul gave us here in the book of Romans. Particularly chapter 6 seven and eight in chapter six we have the mechanics of our christian experience and we've already looked at that that's our coming into union with christ and i've given you several examples of that past couple of weeks even on sunday mornings of our union with christ and what all that means here in chapter seven we have the monkey wrench in the machinery We have this monkey wrench of law jamming up the gears of the machine, and it's hindering the Christian experience, hindering the Christian walk. If we try to live for God by the means of law, it's only going to reactivate the sin nature. Let me say that again. If we try to live for God by the means of law, I've got this little problem over here in my life. And I'm going to read my Bible more to try to overcome this particular problem. You've just made a law. And what that does, it reactivates the sin nature. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 9, Romans 7 verse 9. Paul said, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, he made up some kind of rule or law. He said, sin revived, the sin nature revived, and I died. So the sin nature can revive in the heart and life of the believer if their target of faith changes from Christ and his finished work to something else. And it don't matter what the something else is. It's either Christ and the cross or law. that's it they're the only two ways now every Christian is going to go through this stage in their walk with God and sadly this is where many stay they stay in the seventh chapter of Romans and they have that experience of verse 24 old wretched man that I am and God didn't intend for that God intends for us to be in chapter 8 where the Holy Spirit is is working in our lives and we're walking after the Spirit and we are enjoying all that Christ paid for us to have. How would you feel if you went out here and give your child a piece of land, built them a nice, big, pretty house, Owned that piece of land. Furnished it to the hilt with all the latest and greatest appliances. The finest money can buy. Gave them the house and said, there's your house, live in it, enjoy it. And you ride by and you see a tent sitting out in front of the house and instead of them being in the house enjoying what you paid for and went to all the trouble to give them instead of them enjoying that they're living in a tent out in front of the house that is where most christians are in their christian experience god has purchased and has given us so many benefits in the finished work of Christ, and instead of us taking advantage of what God has given us, we're over here pitching a tent and living in a tent. We're far short from where God wants us to be. And there's great benefits if we'll dig into the Word of God and, and act upon it by faith. Now, let's begin in verse 1. Romans 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Now, now Paul is speaking here to believers. He's speaking to both Gentiles and the Jews. The law has dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, we're all born under the government of law, and we're all bound to the law as long as we live. Now, if we break the law, we're going to suffer the consequences. That's law. All right, verse 2. We're going to look at several verses here. Let Let me just go ahead and read them all. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband, So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth Fruit unto God. Now, in these four verses, a lot of Christians go off thinking that Paul is talking about the subject of divorce and remarriage. And that's not what he's talking about. He is only using this as an analogy to describe our relationship to the law under the new covenant. Now, in verse 2, the woman is likened unto you and I, the believer. The husband is likened unto the law. As long as our husband, the law, is alive, we're bound to him. In verse 2, But if the husband dies, she is loose from the law of her husband. That means she's free then in the eyes of God and man To remarry if she so chooses to do so. The law is dead to us because Jesus completely fulfilled it in his life, in his death, burial, and resurrection. He fulfilled the law completely and the law is dead to us. That leaves us free now to marry Christ And it is mentioned there in verse 4 that we should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Now, Paul uses an adulterous situation in verse 3. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Imagine, if you will, a married couple. We have Mary, we have Bob. For some reason, Mary is just not satisfied with the relationship. Bob is not meeting and satisfying her needs, whatever those needs may be. Mary does not divorce Bob. She just goes out and finds another man. She meets Joe, and she marries Joe. She commits herself to Joe, thinking that Joe is going to meet the needs that Bob cannot. She marries Joe and brings Joe home to Bob. Bob, I'd like for you to meet my husband Joe. Joe, I'd like for you to meet my husband Bob. How do you think that's going to work? That's that's not going to work. I don't care who you are, that's not going to work. Here's the analogy. We're married to Christ. For some reason, in our Christian experience, we become dissatisfied. We're not feeling it anymore. We're not seeing the changes in our lives as quickly as we think we ought to be seeing them. Things are not happening like we think they ought to be happening. We're still having a problem with this right over here, and you fill in the blank. We don't divorce Christ. We just go out and marry the law. We commit ourselves to psychology. Some 12-step program. 40 days of purpose, purpose purpose-driven life, 21 days of fasting. I'll read my Bible more. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other. Because this is what you're saying... Christ is not satisfying me. And we sung a song this past Sunday morning, His grace is satisfying me. But there's a lot of Christians, they sing that, but they're not experiencing that because if Christ was satisfying their every need, they wouldn't be over here with the psychological mumbo-jumbo stuff and they wouldn't be involved in the purpose-driven life, which, by the way, it's crossed every denominational boundary, and that ought to throw up a red flag right there. Churches commit spiritual adultery when they look at particular situations and things are not going the way they think they ought, ought to be going, and instead of trusting Christ, they commit themselves to another way, see, and we go off in the psychological direction. Pastors are not seeing things take place in the churches, they think, because if I preach the Word of God, people are going to get upset, people are not going to come, but yet if I preach this over here, water it down a little bit, that's going to draw a crowd. However you want to cut it, that is spiritual adultery, and that's what way God looks at it. Now, spiritual adultery happens more than you think it does because it goes undetected. Now, in an adulterous situation, that can be hard. To detect physical adultery can be hard to detect if the, if the people are sneaking around and, and whatever the case, and most of the time that's what happens when there's adultery going on. They're sneaking around and whatever the case. Spiritual adultery is even harder to detect because you can't see it. It's a spiritual thing. Are you? Committing the sin of spiritual adultery. Are you trusting Christ and His finished work at Calvary to supply your every need? Every need. Not just salvation, not just to have the sin nature bound but to supply financial needs, physical needs, whatever those needs may be. Are you trusting Christ exclusively and what he did at Calvary to supply your every need? Because we're married to Christ. And we're supposed to be depending on him, being faithful to him, committed to him. And he has promised to supply the need, but yet for some reason we're not satisfied and we're doing this little... It happens more often than you think because really we're attracted to law. It's our default position, that's all we know. We're we're automatically attracted to law. Law makes us feel good. Oh, When I do this, I feel real good. But doing things don't save you. That's where a lot of people get messed up. All right. Paul said there needs to be a renewing of the mind. This is the hardest thing for the Christian to understand. It's not by doing or not doing certain things. It's all by faith in the finished work of Christ. Paul said we need to renew our minds. Go over to Romans 12 and verse 1, if you can. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world how does the world operate under law be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God Paul went on to say, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. Move down, if you will, to verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. Going back to the question I asked just a moment ago. Are you committing the sin of spiritual adultery? Here's some questions you can ask yourself. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul said, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. When he used that phrase, the faith, he was always referring to Christ and what Christ would do for us at the cross. Is our faith in his finished work or is it in something else? He said, Prove your own faith. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to try to save yourself? You'd be surprised how many people are doing things because they think it contributes to their salvation. We got people that come here to church on Sunday mornings thinking that my church attendance has something to do with my salvation. It has something to do with your growth. But as far as your salvation is concerned, if your faith is in Christ, you're saved. But if you're dependent on that, we got some people who think that if they're not baptized, they're not saved. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Are you doing something to affect some kind of change in your life? Or to change some bad habit. See, several years ago, I began to fast two or three times a week. And I noticed that when I would take the pulpit, it was easier to preach. So in my mind, I I begin to think, well, my fasting during the week has got something to do with the anointing of my preaching on Sunday morning. And I made a law out of that thing. I've got to fast two or three times a week in order to get that anointing. God's anointing comes by grace. It's freely given. It's a gift. It's not you earning a doing something. I made a law out of that thing. Are you doing something to affect some kind of change or to change some habit? Whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for any reason other than you simply love the Lord, then the chances are you're committing the sin of spiritual adultery and It happens more often than we think it does. And as Paul said, we need to examine ourselves. All right, back to Romans 7 and verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Our relationship to the law is dead because of the body of Christ. It all goes back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, where Paul said, Know ye not, that so many of us as were baptized came into union with Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. In other words, when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, we died with him. And that means that we are dead to the law. And that's what Paul was saying here in verse 4, Romans chapter 7, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you are married to Christ. How faithful and committed to him are you? The only way, and the latter part of that verse says that we should bring forth fruit unto God. The only way that we can bring forth fruit unto God is to be fully committed and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ.